The Bible says, it is good to give thanks to the Lord, for he is holy. Amen? Amen. Are you thankful for the Sabbath? Are you thankful for Jesus? Amen. Amen. And I praise the Lord for his word that reminds us that we are not Jesus. You know, one time I spoke at a graduation. I told them two things at this graduation. I said, don't forget these two things for the rest of your life. I said, number one, there is a God. And number two, you are not him. (laughs) Amen? Amen. Amen. It's time for us to come to Jesus just as we are to ask for the blessings of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for the beautiful Sabbath that we, your people, can abide in you. Thank you so much for blessing us with truth and light. And God, we want others to share in that same experience. Jesus, our heart's desire is right now that you would be with our friends, our families that are all over the world. And God, we just also lift up our president and our leaders right now who are in a time of decision-making. God, we pray and ask that the Spirit of God would be by their side to give them wisdom in these crucial moments. Thank you, Jesus, that this is good and acceptable, as you said, when we pray for our leaders. Father in heaven, we pray as we open up the word, may the Spirit of God fall afresh on us. And we also ask one more thing, God, and that is you would search our hearts. And God, that the word of God would reveal the intents of the heart. And Lord, we ask that we may be emptied so that heaven can fill us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, well, a couple things you guys might be aware of. Next Sabbath is a very special Sabbath. Now, Sabbath is already special, amen? But next Sabbath is going to be a very special Sabbath. It's going to be International Sabbath. Do you know what International Sabbath is? Yeah, you can guess. It's a Sabbath that's about different cultures, right? And so what we're going to be doing next Sabbath is we're going to have a very special church service. It's going to be a time for you to come to church in some traditional garb of the country of your choice. But we're also going to have an international potluck as well. And so this all stemmed because I volunteered to do all church potluck this week. And I thought to myself, how can we make this special? And I said, we'll do international Sabbath. So we want you to dress up in traditional garb as long as it's modest. Amen? (laughs) Modesty counts. And so we want to make sure you dress up in your traditional garb. If you're from India or you're not from India and you have a sari, we want you to wear it, ladies. Men, if you have an Indian clothing, Indian clothing, we want you to wear that. Or from whatever country you're from. We have some people volunteering to make Thai food. They're going to dress in Thai clothing. We have some people who are going to wear Indian clothing. I don't know what I'm going to wear yet. Just find out. Maybe I want to wear something from Japan. You'll have to find out next Sabbath. But we want you to dress up in the traditional garb of a particular company. Can we do that? Amen? Amen. Amen. So next Sabbath, I expect to see a lot of colors here. Right? And this is going to be a wonderful time for us to be able to appreciate the sacred cultures God has given to humanity. And it's going to be a time for us just to share uh, in a, you can say, a taste of what heaven is going to be all about. Every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every people. Amen? Amen. All right. 
Well, the second thing I also want to let you guys know, next Sabbath is also very special because we're going to be having our trial. Our trial. It's going to be a time where we're going to have the Honorable Scott Went preside over the trial. Seventh-day Adventists are going to be put on the stand for their faith. We have three prosecutors who will interrogate the witnesses. Pastor Anel Kanda, <laughs> Pastor Ted, and a surprise elder. And this is going to be a time, what we're going to do is we're going to, I'm going to share a message and we're going to set up a table. Scott Went is going to be the judge. The prosecutors are going to stand on the left. And this is going to be a time for people, when they're called upon, to come up to the front and see if they can answer these questions. However, I also want to remind you, I may be easy on you in the beginning, but not towards the end. We want to make sure you know what you believe in. Amen? So make sure you come armed with your Bibles next week. It's going to be an exciting time. All right, ladies and gentlemen, the name of the sermon is called Code Breaker. Code Breaker. You know, I actually had a good friend. I still have a good friend. And he actually teaches math in down, I think it's in Delano. And he teaches at the college there. And he was somebody who got his master's in mathematics in Iowa State University. And he was studying a kind of math that had to do with computer science. And so him and other students were finishing up this graduate degree when a special group from the government known as the NSA approached them. Now the reason why they approached them is because they were recruiting for the NSA. They were looking for people who could crack codes. And that branch of mathematics that had to do with computer science, they were trying to recruit from that category. Well, my friend refused the offer. And the reason why he refused this offer was because there came a stipulation. And that stipulation was, you are not allowed to talk about what takes place at work, even to your wife. So even if your wife works there and you work there, you are not allowed to discuss what takes place at the NSA. And so my friend decided not to make the, take up this offer because of what was involved with it. You know, when it comes to our society right now, there's a lot that's coming out about surveillance. You read the newspaper every single day and you find out so much is being revealed about the way our government carries out secret operations. Now, I'm not here to give you my opinion about those things, but all I'm here to say is that when you read the Bible, a lot of people who pick up the scriptures actually read them in a superficial way and miss what's actually there. Do you know Jesus actually spoke in very obvious language, but within the obvious language was code. He was communicating something else. So a lot of people who pick up the Bible, read it superficially, and they look at it and they just think to themselves, well, this is what it says. But they miss the actual point that Jesus was trying to make. One of the things that he gave was something called parables. Parables. Jesus gave parables for two reasons. Number one, to reveal truth, and number two, to conceal truth. Reveal truth to those who were searching and conceal truth from those who were seeking to accuse him of wrong. And so Jesus had to be very careful. 
These parables that he gave, he gave seven of them in Matthew chapter 13. And he began each parable by saying, the kingdom of heaven is like this, the kingdom of heaven is like this, the kingdom of heaven is like this. And what he would give were just basic situations that you and I have each and every day. One instance, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a seed that was planted in the ground, but when this seed grew, it became the biggest of all these plants, so that the birds of the air came and rested in them. Now, how could you accuse somebody who gave a story like that? What evil is there in that story? Another story, Jesus talked about a man who was planting seeds. And as he was planting seeds, all of a sudden, there were different responses that came to the seed that he was planting. You're listening to that message. How could you accuse him of any wrong? And so Jesus was very intelligent in the way he was communicating these powerful messages about the kingdom of heaven. But ladies and gentlemen, what is so remarkable is that the kingdom of heaven wasn't a location In each one of these situations where he says, the kingdom of heaven is like this, the kingdom of heaven is like this, the kingdom of heaven is like this, he gave zero descriptions about heaven. He didn't describe the beautiful lions and the tigers and bears, oh my. He wasn't describing the clouds. He wasn't describing the harp. He gave experiences. There was no location. He was not describing what heaven's beauty is like. Rather, he was describing what heaven's experience is. Because if you don't have heaven's experience, you won't be ready for heaven's location. And that's why, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus began these codes with the kingdom of heaven is like this. The kingdom of heaven is like this. The kingdom of heaven is like this. He was giving powerful messages that were encrypted, that were encoded with powerful truths that would be transforming. Now... Take your Bible. Let's go to Matthew chapter 13. Let's show you something very remarkable. I'm heading in a completely different direction that I was planning to with my sermon. Matthew chapter 13. Let's go to verse 33. Please say amen if you're there. Look what Jesus says in this litany of parables. Verse 33. Another parable he spoke to them. The kingdom of heaven is like what? Leaven. Which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all what? 11. Go to verse 34. And all these things Jesus spoke to the multitude in parables, and without a parable, he did not speak to them. Notice this. Here Jesus gives this unusual story, and he says, I'm going to communicate one of the deepest truths to you. And then he sits down, and everyone's listening, and he says, look, one day there was this woman who made three measures of food, and she put leaven in this dough, and the whole thing became leavened. And that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. Can you imagine what would have gone through your mind in hearing that? What would you be thinking when you heard that? You probably would be thinking, man, it's, I think it's time for potluck right now. <laughs> right? Most of you would probably be thinking to yourself, what does this have to do with the kingdom of heaven? What does this have to do with God's glorious kingdom? But encoded in this was a special message, a powerful truth that God was wanting his people to understand if they were willing to take the Bible and search deeper, look deeper. Now, ladies and gentlemen, one of the reasons why I bring up this parable, this particular parable, is because it has deep, deep meaning for the people of God today. And what we're going to beginning, begin in the future is going to be a sermon series on 
parables, codes that God wants us to understand, especially for these times. Like I said to, be, to you before, there's no point about heaven's location, no point in trying to get to heaven's location if you haven't experienced heaven yet. Amen? God wants us to experience heaven first. And that's why the Bible talks about Lucifer and his fall from heaven in Revelation chapter 12. It says, neither was there a place found for him in heaven, what? Any longer. When you take a good look at what happens to the people at the end of time in Revelation chapter 20, right before they're destroyed, the Bible says there was not found for them a place on earth any longer. The same experience that Lucifer went through is the same experience that those who reject God's goodness will go through at the end of time. And that is, they have no place in their heart for heavenly things. It's not that heaven doesn't have a place for them. There's no place in their heart for heaven. They make themselves unfit for heaven. And God wants to take us to an experience of understanding what the kingdom of heaven is truly all about. Can you say amen to that? All right, everybody, let's go to our story. Take your Bible. Let's go to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. I was praying with a group of people earlier that this message would speak to each and every person's heart. John chapter 4. If you're there, go ahead and say amen. John chapter 4. And let's start with verse 43. Now, after two days, he departed from there and went to where? Galilee. Now, watch what it says in verse 44. For Jesus himself testified that a what? A prophet has no what? Honor, notice this, in his own what? Country, if we want to find the most opposition to a prophet, where would we go? Where would we go if we want to find the most kind of opposition that a prophet would receive? Where would we go to look for that opposition? His place of origin. The very people that God sent the prophet to would reject them the most. Ladies and gentlemen, we need to understand something. Last week I covered a powerful message, and I call it powerful because I was really blessed in the research. A lot of people came up to me last week and said, hey, we want to learn more. We've learned so much about the spirit of prophecy. We want to see what else is there. And just look in the future. We're going to be covering the prophetic vision part two. Ladies and gentlemen, God used a prophetic voice to raise up this church. Can you say amen to that? And because he used a prophetic voice, mankind was not involved in the raising of this, of this church, and mankind cannot bring down this church. Amen? God is the one who raised it up for a very special purpose, and we need to understand the powerful messages of God that has been given to us. As we read earlier, a prophet has no honor in his what? Country. Notice what Jesus is experiencing in Galilee. Let's continue. Verse 44, for Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no what? Honor in his own country. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things he did Jerusalem, did in Jerusalem at, at the feast, for they also had gone to the feast. Verse 46, so Jesus came again to where? Cana of Galilee, where he made the water wine. And a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum, when he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his what? Son, for he was at the point of what? Death. Here Jesus is going back to this place, Canaan of Galilee, and what miracle did he perform at Canaan of Galilee? He turned water into what? Wine. And that message spread. So you know what Jesus was doing when he was going back to that town? He was doing follow-up. 
So he's going there, and he's going back into that town, and all of a sudden, a particular individual, he was a nobleman. That's all that is said about him. I actually checked out the Greek word for this word, nobleman, and it actually means one who serves a king. Royalty. This man hears about Jesus. And the reason why he is listening and trying to understand more about Jesus is because his own son is at the point of death. Can you think of a better prayer request than the healing of your child when he is about to die? Probably most of us would be praying, God, I can't think of a better prayer request than for my child to be healed. But guess what? There was a better request. So here Jesus is, he's out in town over there, and this nobleman realizing, I've got to get to him, he begins to get on his feet, and he begins to go through this journey, and it's about, uh, Cana is just about, I think about 16 to 20 miles away. So you can actually do this in about a day. And so he is, he gets to that town. He is so desperate to see that Jesus would heal his child. Now you're going to see a remarkable encounter take place. Superficially, when you read it, you just think, well, this is a man who just needs healing. But watch what is said next. As soon as this man who's desperate, who's just really despairing, knowing that he is sacrificing valuable last moments with his child to get to Jesus... And here he is, he's making his way through the crowd, probably really tired. He gets there, and he sees Jesus, and he believes that Jesus is going to heal him, when all of a sudden Jesus looks at him, and watch the words of Jesus. Watch the words of Jesus. Verse 48. Then Jesus said to him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means, what? Believe. Wow, what a harsh response, isn't it? Think about it. Here this man is traveling many miles to see Jesus because he's at the point of desperation. He may not even see his son alive again. He's going through all these, this, this, uh, you can say, these obstacles, and he's getting to Jesus, and the first thing Jesus says to him is says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Can you imagine what that man must have felt at that very moment? His heart just dropped. Now, there's a bit of insight that we can get from this story. A bit of insight about the man himself, the nobleman. The very fact Jesus says to him, the very first thing Jesus says to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you won't believe, implies there was something in this man's heart prior to getting to Jesus. Some condition he made in his own mind about believing in Jesus. And that was, unless he did this work, he was not going to believe in Jesus. In fact, look what Ellen White says right here. It's super powerful. Notwithstanding all the evidence Jesus was the Christ, the petitioner had determined to make his belief in him, what? Conditional on the granting of his own request. The man made it up in his own mind. He said, I'm not going to believe this guy can actually, actually is the Messiah until he does the healing. Now, is that faith, ladies and gentlemen? Is that faith? Now, there's a degree of faith because the man came to Jesus. But here he is. He's coming there and he's thinking to himself, maybe he's really not the Messiah. Maybe he's really not the miracle worker everybody's saying he is. And he gets there and he's like, actually, I'm not going to believe him until he does this miracle. Look what else is said. 
The Savior contrasted this questioning unbelief with the simple faith of the Samaritans who asked no miracle or sign. His word, the ever-present evidence of his divinity, had a convincing power that reached their hearts. Christ was praying that his own people, to whom the sacred oracles had been committed, should fail to hear the voice of God speaking to them in his own Son. That man says, I'm not going to believe until Jesus does this for me. Now, do you have a conditional kind of faith where degrees of commitment are based upon God's answering of your prayers? Now, it's probably going to become a shock to many of us. We actually have a faith that is based upon God just answering our prayers. That the second he stops answering those prayers, we're out the door. Just like this man. Now, you know what's very interesting about the word Capernaum, where he came from? The word Capernaum is actually just two words. Village of Nahum. Or Nahum. N-H-U-M. You guys know who Nahum is? Yeah, there's a book in the Bible written after him. Nahum means comfort. The village of comfort. In fact, when you read the New Testament... There's about 15 references to the word Capernaum. Jesus would actually visit Capernaum a lot because it was a place where he can do ministry. It was a small fishing uh, place, and he can go there, meet different groups of people, different kinds of people, different classes of people. He's able to minister to them, and they're able to go out and spread the gospel as they're touched by it. But here this man comes from Capernaum, this place of comfort, and he's coming to Jesus, and Jesus says, unless you believe... Unless you see signs and wonders, you've made it up in your own mind, you're not going to believe in me. Jesus read this man's heart, and he looked at it, and he intentionally drew it out. Now, is that cruel? Is that cruel? Wait a minute. What, <laughs> what do you think was this man's primary desire? Think about it. Your child is at the point of death. Can you think of a better prayer request than the healing of your child? But there is one. There is a better prayer request. You see, Jesus wanted to do much more for this man than simply the healing of his child. And so what he did, he was intentionally exposing an issue. Oftentimes, God will provoke something in our life that has not been smoothed out by his spirit. Situations will take place that will fill us with anxiety because what God is trying to do is trying to repair something in our own life. One time when he went to a synagogue, he actually exposed, intentionally healed a man who, was, who had a withered hand. He healed him intentionally in front of everybody because that synagogue had problems about Sabbath keeping. He provoked the situation because he was seeking to bring healing. And here he is with this man. He says to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you're not going to believe. You've made it up in your own mind that you're not going to believe until I grant your request. What is so remarkable is what Jesus was intending in this message to the man. He was seeking to expose a problem so that he could give the man much more than the man was wanting. You're thinking to yourself, what could be better? You see what Jesus was really wanting to give to this man? Something even greater. And that was not only his salvation, but the salvation of his entire family. And when that man realized that his unbelief was actually leading 
to the possible loss of his own family, that's when all of a sudden it hit him. He cried out to God at that very moment. In fact, look what the response is. I promise you this is all going to wrap up. Look at the response of the man. Verse 49. The nobleman said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. He cries out in desperation. I love what Desire of Ages says, that the Savior will turn away from no soul that clings to him. And this man, overwhelmed with the thought that his own unbelief could cause the loss of his family, cries out for mercy. Ladies and gentlemen, our unbelief affects our family's salvation. Do you know that? Our unbelief affects our family's salvation. And God wanted to save this man's family. But the conditions he sent for God were not the conditions God sent. In fact, what is so remarkable is what happens next. Go to verse 50. Jesus said to him, go your way, your son what? Lives. So the man believed the what? The word. Did the man believe his faith? Believe that faith he had? Yes or no? At that moment. He did. It says he believed the word that Jesus spoke. Look what he says next. And he went his way. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Your son lives. Watch verse 52. It's key. He inquired of them the hour when he got better. And they said to him, Yesterday at the what? Seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew it was the same hour in which Jesus said to him, Your son lives. Now there's a very important detail, and that is, apparently... The man, after believing the word of Jesus, he takes a while to get home. In one day, it took him to get to that place to where Jesus was. In fact, the word set at the hour seven, at the seventh hour is actually just 1 p.m. It's actually at the next day, the man finally reaches home. And he's there. And it's so remarkable because this man takes his time to get home. Go the scenic route. We're taking the five freeway instead of the 99 going straight up. I want to see some of those hills out there. This was a man who began to believe the word of God, and as he believed the word of God, peace began to enter his heart, and he knew there was no rush to get home, and he begins to make his way home. And all of a sudden, you can just imagine, the sun had this glorious warm rays that just were upon him. And then the birds were chirping. He was hearing the chirping of the birds, and everything began to be a little bit more beautiful to him. And as he's making his way home, he decides to stop, I'm going to check in here. And he goes to sleep in peace. The next day, he makes the rest of his journey. Maybe stops and gets an apple pie. I don't know. Come home. And as he's coming home, the servants are rushing out to tell him. They're saying, hey, hey, we found your son. He's so much better. And the very first thing the man says is, when did he get better? And they said, it was at the seventh hour. And the man knew immediately that the prayer that he cried out to God after the heart surgery took place, was answered that moment. You know, studying out this message this morning, I began to realize something, and that is this. Our prayers are so limited. God actually wants to do much more than what we're praying. Oftentimes, we're just praying so that we may not have discomfort. You know why we pray for people's salvation? Not because primarily we want them to be saved. We think of the pain we may feel knowing they have not been saved. It's about us. Even our prayers for provision, they're, they're laced with selfishness. Even they have, may have sort of this, uh, uh, you can say this, appearance of being righteous or good, but they're laced with selfishness. And what Jesus wanted to give this man was more than just a healing. He wanted to bring salvation to the whole family. 
In fact, this is so powerful. I read this. He who blessed the nobleman at Capernaum is just as desirous of blessing who? Us. But like the afflicted father, we are often led to seek Jesus by the desire for some earthly good. And upon the granting of our request, we rest our confidence in his love. The Savior, I love this part, longs to give us a greater what? Blessing. Then we ask, now watch this part, and he delays the answer to our what? Request that he may show us the evil of our own what? Heart and the deep need of his grace. Wait a minute. The delay is meant for my good? Are you telling me all those years young Joshua was praying for a wife? (laughs) And it didn't happen... The delay was meant for his own good? Oh, my goodness. How old are you, Joshua? 28. Woe to single pastors. Woe to single pastors. That's what I say. When the delay takes place... God is wanting us to refine those selfishness that leads us to seek him. Do you know when Elijah prayed? Elijah was a man of God, powerful. He prayed for the rain to stop. And for three and a half years, it stopped. But then when he prayed for it to come back, the Bible says six times he was having to pray. Why? Every time he was praying, God was leading him to renounce self, to take no pride, to kind of cut out the selfishness that was leading him to ask God. The delay is meant for our good, ladies and gentlemen. God is faithful, amen? God will answer prayers. But he wants to give you more than just an answer to prayer. He wants to bless you with his grace, with salvation, with character building, and to bless all those who are involved in your circle of influence. Praise the Lord for God's delays. Is there a delay in your prayers? Is there something you've been waiting for and it hasn't happened? The reason for that delay may be something in your own heart that God is wanting to clean up. Jesus wants to bless you more, ladies and gentlemen. Just like that man, what is so remarkable is the Bible says right at the end, it says the man believed and his whole household believed as well. But imagine if Jesus just said, all right, your son's healed. And the man just said, all right, we're good to go. We're on our way. But no, no, no. Jesus delayed it. And he led this man through an experience of faith and trust because he was building him and he was seeking to save everyone else around the man. The delay is meant for our own good. And if there is a delay, this is the time to start searching our heart, to examining where we might be wrong with God and the selfishness that is leading us to ask God for these things. And as God cuts them out, God cuts them out. The pure motives that he gives are left for us. And then we become safe to bless. Safe to bless. The nobleman wanted to see the fulfillment of his prayer before he should believe. But he had to accept the word of Jesus that his request was heard. And the blessing what? Granted, this lesson also have to, we have to learn. Not because we see or feel that God hears us, are we to believe. Can you say amen to that? We are to trust in his promises. When we come to him in faith, every petition enters the heart of God. When we have asked for his blessing, we should have believed that we have received it. And what's that next word? 
Thank him that we have received it. Then we are to go about our duties assured that the blessing will be realized when we need it the most. When we have learned to do this, when we have learned to do this, when we have learned, pray that your learning doesn't take a hundred years. Pray your learning doesn't take as long as it took Abraham or Jacob or Isaac. Pray that your learning is quick. When we have learned to do this, we shall know that our prayers are answered. God will do for us exceedingly abundantly according to the riches of his glory and the working of his mighty power. Can you say amen to that? Now remember what Jesus told the man? Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not what? But watch what the Bible says right there, right after this. Then he acquired them the hour when he got better. And then they said to him, yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever what? So the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives. And he himself believed. Look at that. The man becomes a believer in Jesus. And his whole what? What did Jesus want to bless the man with? He wanted to give salvation to the whole family. Salvation to his young boy. Not just healing, but salvation. Salvation to his brothers and sisters, to the man's wife and her family. The Bible says the whole household believed. The whole household believed. But look at this remarkable part. This again is the second what? Wait a minute. This again is the second what? Sign Jesus did when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. But what did he tell the man? Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. But the Bible says this was the second sign he did. Quite paradoxical at first, isn't it? Jesus just rebuked the man for wanting to see signs and wonders. And the Bible says this was the second sign he did. The man was so limited in his faith. He was just looking for a miracle. But the sign that Jesus was wanting to give, the sign that he did, was a revelation of God's character to humanity. And that sign was the most powerful miracle that Jesus could have done. Becoming a man and revealing his glory in the various circumstances of humanity. This is the sign that Jesus did. He entered into that man's life and he revealed to him the thing that was hindering his prayers. And when the man finally recognized it and realized his dependence upon Jesus, he believed the word and his heart was filled with the assurance that God had answered his prayers. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to keep this message short. But I want you to realize the most important part of this message, and that is God desires to give you more than what you are asking. He longs to bless you more than what you're just praying for. The Bible says, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so his ways are higher than our ways. 
But as he delays these prayer requests, he leads us to a time of understanding what the bigger picture is and the greater benefit he wants to give to you. Perhaps there's been unbelief in your own heart. Perhaps there's been a stubbornness in your soul. Maybe even a bitterness. And you're thinking to yourself, God, why, why, why? Jesus wants to give you more, ladies and gentlemen. He wants to bless you more. And let that delaying be a time of you searching your heart and finding out what may be the hindrances. God wants to bless you with things that you never asked or imagined, but he calls you to search and trust him. Amen? Amen. That's my desire for you, church family. Let God bless you. Let him give what he's been longing to give you for so many years. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we just thank you so much. My God, the word of God reveals the intents and the motivations that may lead us to follow you But God, you're wanting to purify those things. You want us to be safe for those blessings. God, you're wanting us to have more than just the answer to that prayer. You're wanting to bless us so much more. God, because you're good. We just pray we'd leave church with the knowledge and the experience that you truly care for us. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.